There are permanent changes happening to Canada's Arctic. It isn't the building of new energy or infrastructure projects like roads. It isn't an increase in the size of cities and towns. The last permanent ice shelf has collapsed, and its effects will be felt worldwide. I'm Adam Toy, and this is Why. It's a beautiful but remote part of Canada's Arctic that an Ottawa research team has been studying closely for years. This year's trip was cancelled because of the pandemic, and there won't be another chance to go back. I enjoy going there every summer, and to get news that, that this piece has broken off and, and my, uh, my study site is, has changed uh, completely was certainly a bit of a shock. The Millen Ice Shelf is at the northern tip of Nunavut's Ellesmere Island. Over two days in late July, 40% of the ice shelf collapsed, shrinking by about 80 square kilometres, an area two-thirds the size of Vancouver. These are huge areas of ice that you spend lots of time on. To suddenly see it disappear in the satellite images kind of really brings home how quickly these changes are. Nowhere has climate change become more evident than the Arctic. Over the last three decades, it has been warming at twice the global rate. But this year, summer temperatures have been particularly intense. So we've seen extensive melt across the Canadian Arctic, but also elsewhere in the Arctic. In northern Greenland, in the Norwegian Arctic, for example, all those regions have seen extensive uh, glacier losses this year. Given temperature trends, researchers expected the ice shelf to collapse, just not so soon and not all at once. Well, the surprises keep coming in 2020, but the consequences of the collapse of the Milne Ice Shelf isn't as obvious as, say, an international pandemic or the arrival of murder hornets. And that's part of the problem. Quote, science is quickly connecting the dots between the loss of Arctic ice and severe weather. Glenn McGilvery penned that in a recent opinion piece in the Globe and Mail. I caught up with Glenn to dig further into it and how these changes in the Arctic could affect the rest of the country. Glenn McGilvery is the Managing Director for the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction and joins me. Thanks so much for your time, Glenn. Thank you, Adam. Uh, so, Glenn, you recently penned uh, uh, an opinion piece in the Globe and Mail uh, called, or titled, It's Clear as Ice, the Arctic is Unraveling. Um, what's been happening, uh, you know, in Canada's north uh, that has you concerned? Well, if you look at the, the big picture, uh, we know the Earth is warming. Uh, it's due to humans, largely, burning fossil fuels. And the, the North, the Arctic, has been warming about three times faster than the rest of the world. Canada as a whole has been warming about two times faster, but the Arctic is, is about three times. And in this particular summer, we've had a really, really warm summer up in the Arctic. We're seeing a, a great deal of, uh, of uh, loss of ice and uh, particularly in places like Greenland. Uh, but then last week we lost uh, a 5,000-year-old ice shelf in Canada. Uh, a good chunk of it uh, broke off into icebergs. It's the last intact ice shelf left in the country. Uh, we used to have numerous ice. Actually, the, all around Ellesmere Island used to be a, a continuous sheet of ice, and slowly that uh, eroded away, and we had numerous ice shelves. And then they started to break apart, and we just lost to the last... Uh, intact ice shelf. So things are moving very quickly in the Arctic, unfortunately in the wrong direction. And so um, in, in your piece, you, you note that this is 
permanent ice that we're losing, and so this is permanent changes to uh, the 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 uh, not just the the topography and the landscape of the Arctic, but I guess uh, to your understanding it would also change some of the the atmospheric and 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 uh, uh, and yeah a atmospheric changes uh, and the what would that be the climate changes as well, right. Yeah, I mean, the loss of permanent ice has a whole bunch of impacts. Uh, it has impacts on, on polar bears and other species, for example. Uh, it has an impact on, on the remaining ice itself. It can actually help speed up the melt and loss of, of that ice. Um, it can also, as we lose snow and ice, uh, the snow doesn't bounce the, um, the sun's rays back out in the space as much as it used to. And so we're getting then more heating and that's what we call a positive feedback loop. Um, there's all kinds of impacts and, uh, and again, they're not good. Mm -hmm. um, let's uh, just a, 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 I want to back up a bit for, for anybody who's unfamiliar with uh, the uh, Institute uh, that you work with. What does the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction, what's, what do you do and, and who's all a part of it? Right, so we've been around for about 23 years now. Uh, we were formed by the Canadian property and casualty insurance industry to uh, reduce the impact of severe weather and earthquake on Canadians. And uh, for 23 years, that has meant disaster risk reduction work. But in the last many years, it's also meant uh, climate change adaptation work, which is very similar to, to disaster risk reduction work. It's the flip side of the same coin, basically. And uh, there is a connection now, uh, we could probably talk about it in a bit, but there is a connection between loss of Arctic sea ice and, uh, and severe weather down in the, in the south. So um, it very much is, uh, falls within our bailiwick of work. Mm -hmm. And so I was, uh, your, your board of directors, uh, the, the companies that are, uh, have members that are on the board, it reads as a, as a list of, of Canadian insurance companies. So this is a, uh, this, this, if I understand correctly, uh, this is the insurance companies trying to protect uh, their business basically by trying to protect Canadians and, and prevent um, catastrophic uh, losses and, and, and from, I guess, ultimately it'll, it'll help the consumer. Yeah, I mean, our priority is to help Canadians. Uh, that's where it starts. Uh, so to prevent loss of life and injury and then to prevent property damage. And that's kind of where the insurers come into play. And insurers have a direct uh, channel to Canadians uh, through the policies that they sell and the relationships they have. So it's a very good partnership. Um, it's tougher for other groups to get at Canadians, but it's very easy for insurers to do so. And um, we've polled Canadians many times and Canadians want to get uh, safety research and advice from insurance companies. That's where they want to re uh, receive that advice, not from neighbors or friends or governments or banks. They want it from their insurer. So that relationship works very well. Hmm. So, um, so why, uh, you mentioned this a little bit, but why should Canadians who probably won't, you know, travel north of the, the Arctic Circle, why should they care, care about this loss of, of, of Arctic ice, the permanent loss in some cases? Yeah, well, we keep hearing about this canary in the coal mine adage, and it kind of drives me crazy. Uh, people are saying, you know, uh, what we're seeing in the Arctic is just a, a, an early warning of what's to come. And, I mean, they're not wrong about that. 
but it, it gives the impression that what happens in the Arctic stays in the Arctic and nobody cares. And nothing can be further from the truth. And um, there's a great deal of research out. Uh, it's fairly new research. It's, it's, you know, just a few years old. And it's continually, continuously being built on. That shows that as the Arctic continues to warm much faster than the rest of the world, and as we lose uh, sea ice, permanent ice, and uh, more of the ocean uh, in the north is exposed and so on and so forth, that this is impacting the jet stream. So the jet stream is that, uh, is that high lofted uh, stream of air that streams right around the northern hemisphere of the Earth. And um, it has a really huge impact on, on the weather that we see. Generally, that uh, jet stream wa wavers a little bit. Um, it's kind of squiggly. But uh, as of late, the last many years, we've started to see it get lazy kind of like pushing a rope, if you can imagine that, where you get these big dips and big arcs and, and big loops. Uh, and it's just the jet stream is not doing what it used to do. And what happens is we, certain areas of, of um, the Northern Hemisphere can get locked into extremely wet weather for long periods of time, extremely dry, hot weather for long periods of time. Um, this lazy jet stream is locking in these weather patterns in, in certain places. And so you look around the Northern hemisphere and you see very severe flooding. Um, if you recall like Thailand a few years ago, or if you look at China, uh, Japan, India, uh, Bangladesh right now, this past summer, extremely wet, lots of floods, lots of loss of life. But then over here in Canada, we've had large portions of the country locked into severe heat, very dry, hot summer like in southern Ontario uh, and in parts of the prairies and what that has meant is a lot of convective storm we've seen um, massive hailstorms in southern Alberta this year uh, and a lot of thunder lightning and, and uh, quick downpours in other places and so the jet stream is being affected and it's not being affected in a good way and we're starting to see this connection between uh, the jet stream and the loss of Arctic sea ice. After the break cost of insurance, availability of insurance, the cost of, of fixing damaged property that's not insured, the cost of fixing infrastructure that's damaged that governments don't insure. Um, it can impact, it can put people out of work. It can drive up the prices of things. I mean, right now we're seeing the cost of labor and, and shingles in Southern Alberta have gone way up as a result of that billion dollar hailstorm. All sorts of these spin-off effects, uh, and, and so many of them have a dollar sign behind them. Welcome back to This Is Why. We're talking with Glenn McGilvery of the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction. And so with all of those, those more extreme uh, weather events, like you said, the flooding, uh, hailstorms, that is directly affecting uh, people, their homes, their livelihoods, cities, infrastructure, and, and the like. Yeah, I mean, huge impacts on, um, on the bank account here, you know. Uh, cost of insurance, availability of insurance, the cost of, of fixing damaged property that's not insured, the cost of fixing infrastructure that's damaged that governments don't insure. Um, it can impact, it could put people out of work. It can drive up the prices of things. I mean, right now we're seeing the cost of labor and, and shingles in Southern Alberta have gone way up as a result of that billion dollar hailstorm. All sorts of these spin-off effects uh, and, and so many of them have a dollar sign behind them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I was reading through on your on the ICLR's uh, report about the uh, 2016 Fort McMurray wildfires, um, and, and I mean those those tallied uh, almost 10 billion U.S. in uh, in direct and indirect damages. Uh, and in this report, you say that, uh, or the, the the institute says that. Um, Basically, if, if I were to sum it up, that the Fort McMurray area was was a was a tinderbox ready to go up, and that the climate uh, uh, it, it seems to allude that the climate being a, 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 a and, and uh, global warming being a a factor. You've got uh, uh, snow cover being low, probably because it was a warmer winter, and the 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 uh, uh, the, the climate didn't uh, the climate conditions didn't produce as much snow as it normally does. I, am I am I misreading this? Was was did the the climate change that has resulted in this um, in this this these ice uh, sheets melting in the Arctic? Is this this climate change also to uh, did the, it play a, a factor? And how big a factor did it play in the Fort McMurray wildfires? Right. Yeah. Um, so you're exactly right. It's difficult, of course, to pin back the ice loss to a particular event. Um, but if you look at the big, bigger picture, what it means is we're going to see more Fort McMurray types of, of fires. And, you know, the people of Penticton right now are, are seeing that. But there was a study that was done separate of ICLR that looked at the, um, the 2016 wildfire season in northern Alberta. And the conclusion was that climate change made that fire four times more likely, I think, is what the, the, the results say. So climate change doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see brand new things that we've never seen before. That is really a, a myth. What it means is the dice are being loaded and that we, these things are going to be more likely. And, um, and we will see more wildfire in Canada. We've seen a doubling of area burned uh, since the 70s. We're going to see another doubling at the end of the century. Um, so this, the impact on, uh, on drought, on dryness, on dry vegetation, lack of snow, hot weather, high winds, you know, it all can be fed by various aspects of climate change. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's something that I was, uh, I wanted to, to, to bring or to ask you is that, um, I mean, often uh, we'll say climate change deniers, they will say, well, climate change didn't cause the fire. They didn't, it didn't light the match. However, it seems to me that it's a bit of a, a force multiplier. It's exactly what it is. And it, that is one of the more, the silliest arguments I hear from climate change deniers is, Oh, look, it wasn't uh, climate change that caused the fire. It was a cigarette. But when we talk about climate change and wildfire, we don't talk about how the fire ignited. We talk about uh, how fast, how dry it was, how fast it moves, um, and that sort of thing. And it really has little to do with the actual ignition of the fire, although climate change can mean more lightning. And about half of wildfires in Canada are caused by lightning. Mm -hmm. That is certainly one of the silliest arguments I hear about uh, about climate change is, is trying to pin the cause, the actual physical ignition of a fire. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about climate change and wildfire. Mm -hmm. So in a broad uh, view, what would the, what does the ICLR recommend as far as, as, as how to adapt to these, uh, this change in climate uh, and the, 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 the resulting increase in intensity of these various events. Um, we do have to mitigate greenhouse gases and move towards renewables and that sort of thing, but that's not really the work that we do at ICLR. Uh, we're more on the adaptation side, the resilience or, or becoming hardened side of, of things. And so in that regard, there are things that government has to do. Uh, we have to look at building code and things of that nature, um, land use planning, where we build things, how we build things. 
uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, insurance companies and other businesses have to step up as well uh, to provide insurance coverage, to uh, incentivize good risk-taking behavior, disincentivize bad. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other parties that have to be involved, but we can't forget the, the property owner, the homeowner. They are absolutely key in this. Um, government can do everything in its power and insurers can do everything in their power, but if homeowners don't take the bull by the horns, uh, it's all going to be for naught. So we have that advice at ICLR. It's on our website. It's broken down by hazard. And so if you live in a high-risk wildfire zone, there are actions that you can take. And they center mostly around the FireSmart uh, initiative, the FireSmart program, which is the country's premier wildfire mitigation uh, program. Uh, but there are things that you can do to prevent basement flooding and, and, um, and you know, uh, impacts from extreme winds and impacts from earthquakes. There's this whole idea that, oh, I won't get affected by this. It, you know, that happens to the other guy, but, uh, but I'll be okay. What we're seeing, though, is people are getting hit by more than one thing in, in, in a few years. And, and forget about this. I, I won't get hit. It won't be me. It'll be somebody else. We've went from that to people going, oh, no, not again. Um, you know, getting hit by a wildfire and then by a hailstorm or, or getting hit by, um, you know, a hailstorm and a basement flood or whatever combination you want to think of. We're, we're seeing more and more of that uh, happening. And uh, really, homeowners have to take the bull by the horns here. Where if, if they don't, um, you know, who knows what will happen. I mean, in the future, insurance might be a bit more costly. For some, it might be hard to get. Um, you know, getting mortgages might be difficult, um, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, And not, not to mention the fact that a person could be harmed or even killed uh, from these events. And so... Um, we gotta. We know what needs to be done. We just have to get to it and, and, and start working on that. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change predicted global sea levels will rise by 60 centimeters by the year 2100, putting 360 million people at risk of coastal flooding every year. The new study sides with the IPCC's worst case scenario, a rise of an additional seven centimeters. Troubling evidence for all climate observers. It's time for us to <coughs> wake up to the reality. It's not, it's not going away, and it's speeding up. It's going to get worse. This researcher says the findings are especially worrisome for coastal regions like Nova Scotia. When we looked at 2100 and said maybe, you know, 70 to 75 centimeters for Halifax, no, it's going to be a lot more than that because of where we're at. In fact, it's going to be a meter, um, give or take a little bit. Others suggest the Greenland study joins a growing body of research that says estimates of climate change impacts are too conservative. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca, and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>